Tonga volcano shockwaves spread around the globe. The arrival of the initial shockwave in the UK was first um, evident across Shetland and took uh, less than an hour for that to propagate southward across the UK. And heavy snow forecast for the Greek islands. We're going to have a blizzard condition from up to the north, even to uh, places in Crete. It's Friday the 21st of January and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and this is Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather headlines. A massive volcano eruption followed by a tsunami has caused widespread damage in Tonga. News channels have widely circulated satellite imagery showing the full extent of the destruction. The tremendous power of the eruption was recorded on scientific instrumentation across the globe, as Met Office Deputy Chief Forecaster Nick Silkstone explains. In the atmosphere, we could see a wave animate in a radial pattern uh, from the initial explosion. could be seen on satellite imagery. That um, will have slowed down you know, once it got beyond its explosive phase to the speed of sound. And that continues to propagate around the Earth in almost like a what we call great circles. Um, and uh, that could be monitored as changing atmospheric pressure quite a long distance away from Tonga. So these are massive ripples coming out of an epicentre. And they pretty much propagate, but not on just a horizontal scale. What would you have seen on your barometer to indicate that something was different from normal? I could start by saying the best way to visualise these waves is there's an explosion at the North Pole. Imagine if the eruption happened on the North Pole and the wave would travel southwards by lower, lower latitudes, cross through the equator at a similar time, and then it would get together and almost meet again. The wave would constructively interfere and be in one point again when it passed the South Pole. As a rough approximation, that would be the case. So that's the way to imagine how it travels. And then once it's passed the South Pole, as it all comes together in a point, it then starts to expand from the South Pole and ripple back. In terms of barometers, um, if you're close to the site, for example, places in New Zealand, Australia, they were seeing pressure changes, you know, the order of five to 10 hectopascals and millibars with jumps and then drops on the barometer um, above and below, like just the normal background atmospheric pressure. And even as far as the UK, the initial wave that reached here, we saw around about two hectopascal, two millibar jump between the maximum minimum pressure. You describe the fact that, you know, these waves propagate out in concentric circles meet and then do the same thing again. Is that what happened this time? What we call the shortest great circle or the shortest route for the initial shockwave to reach the UK, for example, actually came quite close to coming directly over the North Pole. So um, when you were measuring, you know, the the arrival of the initial shockwave of the UK was first um, evident across Shetland and took uh, less than an hour for that to propagate southwards ac- across the UK. We then, uh, around about, uh, about six hours after the initial wave, we got the second one, which had come on the Great Circle in the other direction, which approached from the south and then rippled northwards um, across the UK. And that was of similar magnitude. I was able to detect them twice, as were most people in the UK, both pairs of waves. Um, they became more complex on the second round with you know, more interference. For example, travels approximately the speed of sound, but the speed of sound varies with pressure. So the higher you are, the speed of sound is evidently quicker temperature and the speed of the ambient wind flow. And that's why, you know, jets that cross the Atlantic in a strong 200 mile an hour jet stream can have a ground speed that would be effectively faster than the speed of sound at ground level. And I'd say that after two rounds of the Earth, when the amplitude of the the pressure change was reducing anyway, higher and many other observers will have just lost it basically in the background variability. 
this type of eruption, which was obviously immense, even though it was underwater, it propagated right into the atmosphere. This is not the first time it's happened, but it is a rare event. But, you you know, barometers have been around for a good couple of hundred years, if not longer, haven't they? The similar signals and pressure jumps were seen during the Krakatoa eruption. Uh, back then it was pencils <laughs> on the end of, uh, you know, metals that are attached to springs that measured the jumping pressure. But this has been seen before. And the, the rarity of the event, I think, is just related to the rarity of an eruption of this magnitude. It was probably, I believe, the strongest eruption since Mount Pinatubo um, in the early 90s in the Philippines. So, you know, probably the strongest, if not one of the strongest eruptions that we've seen in the last 30 years. Nick Silkstone, thank you very much. Analysis of the Tongre event is ongoing and next week we'll be talking to experts from Australia's Bureau of Meteorology to find out more about the impacts of the eruption and subsequent tsunami. Earlier this week, much of Turkey grappled with heavy snow and blizzards, which left 2,000 people stranded on a major highway in the south. Similar conditions are set to continue this weekend, this time with the threat of heavy snow and icy winds in Greece. To find out more, I spoke to Sakis Arnautoglu, a meteorologist based in Thessaloniki, who talked about the conditions they're expecting and how few people even realise that Greece experiences snow. We just have summer here in Greece, especially in the north, for only for two, maximum three months. Okay, it's very hot, but uh, during the winter time, I mean, you have all this cold weather from the northeast. Many people forget that Thessaloniki, where I live, the city in the north, is the same latitude as New York. And Athens is also the same latitude as Washington. Minimum temperatures can reach even minus 30 in some places in the northwestern part of Greece. It's bad weather at the moment across this part of Greece and it's extended towards Turkey. And we're talking a lot of snow, aren't we? When you have the northerly winds, then these winds uh, doesn't contain moisture, so the clouds cannot be built easily. When they reach the Aegean Sea, they get more moisture and we have this lake effect. We call it Aegean effect. So these snow clouds, then they reach the eastern and the southern part of Greece the mainland and the southern islands, even up to creek in snow, up to two or three hundred metres above the sea level. This has been going on for quite some time in terms of unsettled weather. You've been really stuck in a pattern, whether it's been stormy and windy and now cold with the risk of snow. It's almost like it's never ending. You're absolutely right. It's like your weather never ending. I mean, you've been having these weather stagnation for weeks now because of the high pressure. And we always have the opposite weather, I would say. When you have a very bad weather, then we have pretty mild, even warm weather. But when you have these high pressure over Great Britain, then the cold can easily reach up to eastern Mediterranean and Greece. I've noticed on the news, there's been headline news about Thousands of people being stranded in Turkey. Obviously, it's the same system and maybe Turkey has higher elevation. We need to have a combination in Greece, in northern Greece, a low pressure from the west and the cold weather, the cold fronts from the north. So then we have a lot of snow. But northern Turkey is exposed to the Black Sea. This is the lake effect. This is a Black Sea effect. So snow clouds are accumulated and bring a lot of snow in northern Turkey. How have people been affected by this bad weather across northern Greece? 
they're pretty organized and they know how to deal with it every time. Of course, the main snowfalls are going to be worse over the Aegean. And this is something that you don't get used to very easily if you live on the island during the year because it's combined with very, very strong winds. They can exceed 90 or 100 kilometers per hour. So we're going to have a blizzard condition from up to the north, even to uh, places in Crete. So this is going to be very difficult because some islands don't have the means to deal with all this stuff. And it's going to snow heavily, not only on Sunday, but uh, there are some models show that these snowfalls are going to persist even during Monday. Considering this weather is on its way, how do people prepare if it doesn't happen every year and it sounds like it's quite an extreme event? They get informed. They just stay at home. And they just wait until it goes because it's not going to last forever. I mean, the snow melts very, very quickly. I mean, after two or three days, you're not going to see snow next to the sea, of course. So it's not like you go, they're going to have snow for days or for a week. So for two or three days, they're going to be patient. So you've had a bad winter so far and it continues. It almost feels like Groundhog Day across your part of the world. I bet you're wishing for spring, aren't you, as a meteorologist, somebody who is delivering bad news almost every day? We enjoy it. You know, it's a very nice thing when you have the seasons. I mean, this is the season of cold weather, snow, and we enjoy going out for skiing. I think it's nice to have all this phenomenon too. Tell me about the ski resorts in Greece. Where are they? Because it's not something you associate with going on holiday to Greece. The Greek mainland has high mountains, they can reach even to up to 2,900 meters above the sea level. So we have 17 ski centers. And Athens also, three hours away from Athens, there are two or three very nice ski centers. So Greece has a ski season every year, basically. And you'll be blaming you me so much. when there'll be too many Brits abroad in Greece next winter. <laughs> Thank you. That would be a pleasure for us just to, for you to come and uh, to, to enjoy also the, the nature because the beauty is amazing. Sakis and Autoglu, thank you very much. In direct contrast to events in southern Europe, UK weather continues to be relatively benign. Here with the weather details for the weekend and beyond, Alex Deacon. It seems like high pressure has been in control of our weather all year. Well, that's not quite true, but it's certainly been controlling things for a while now, and it is set to dominate even well into next week. Certainly for the weekend, high pressure will be sitting across the southern half of the UK, which means it's going to stay dry, certainly for most of England and Wales. It might just be the odd spot of drizzle here and there over the hills. For Scotland and Northern Ireland, again, most places will be dry, but at times weak weather fronts will just push into the northwest. So across the highlands of Scotland, the Western Isles and the Northern Isles, there will be a little bit of rain coming in at times here. And it's also going to be fairly breezy across the uh, northwest. And here too, we'll see some of the highest temperatures. Milder air is moving in. So the northwest of Scotland could well be the warmest part of the UK this weekend with highs of 9 or 10. Elsewhere, as I said, most places dry, but question marks about how much cloud we're going to see. After some sparkling days of sunshine this week, I think overall a lot more grey weather uh, this weekend. We'll see some sunny spells, particularly across the east of England and to the east of the high ground further west, but generally quite cloudy conditions in the west. Light winds, so at night we could again see some mist and fog and again some pockets of frost if the skies stay clear. But generally, 
fairly cloudy, a bit of brightness in the east and temperatures around average in the south, maybe a touch below six or seven Celsius. As I said at the start, the high pressure looks like dominating into next week, so mostly dry uh, as we head through next week as well. Thanks, Alex. Before we go, Martin Bowles is back with last week's highs and lows. Here are the weather extremes for the week beginning on the 10th of January. The highest recorded air temperature of the week was 12.9 Celsius at Chillingham Barns in Northumberland on Wednesday. The lowest temperature was minus 6.8 Celsius at Braemar in Aberdeenshire in the early hours of Monday morning. The largest daily rainfall was 18.0 millimetres on the Isle of Portland in Dorset on Sunday. Exmoor National Park was the sunniest place to be last week. Liscombe in Somerset recorded the highest sunshine hours on three separate days. The largest total was 8.0 hours on Friday. Thanks, Martin. That's it for Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir and editor is Adrian Holloway. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met Office weather app.